I think then when they go on to another setting, they see themselves as capable of like, you know, being one of 20 kids in a kindergarten classroom who are capable of being curious and and saying like, how does this work? And how do I figure this out? And how do I make friends? And, you know, having like a, I guess, a positive disposition towards learning. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I'm your host and chief goddess of the PASS Foundation, Annalise Corbin. We know the current model for education is obsolete. It was designed to create fleets of assembly line workers, not the thinkers and problem solvers needed today. We've seen the innovations that are possible within education, and it's our goal to leave the box behind and reimagine what education can look like in your own backyard. Welcome to today's episode. As always, super excited about the conversation we're going to have. And today we actually have a special treat because we get to talk about our littlest learners. And that's always uh, a tremendous amount of fun uh, when we get to have those conversations. And so today we're going to talk about something called the Willow Well Foundation's Wren Nest, which is a holistic, interdisciplinary, and sensory-based approach to learning and a companion program to Willow Well's nationally recognized outdoor high school program. The Walden Project. And it is the goal of the Wren's Nest to foster students' independence and an initial understanding of their interconnectedness with the whole world. And I love that piece because we should all have such a foundation. Um, and as we sort of get into the weeds, um, metaphorically and, and literally, if you will, um, about what this program is about for um, preschool students, um, joining us today is Tasha Ball, who is the administrative director of the Willowell Foundation, um, which which is a nonprofit based in Bristol, Vermont, uh, focused on outdoor education and the arts. And so, Tasha, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. And joining Tasha is Jen Olson, who is an early childhood educator and the teacher at the Rents Nest. So, Jen, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. So ladies, let's just sort of set some context for our listeners who come to us from all over the world who probably, A, don't necessarily always know exactly where to find Vermont. Um, and second, then uh, we also then want, um, Tasha, if you could give us an overview of what is this thing called the Willowell Foundation? Let's start there. Yeah. The Willowell Foundation is a nonprofit focused on outdoor education and the arts. And we were founded in 2000. So we're in our 22nd year um, by Matthew Schlein, who is the head teacher of the Walden Project, which is an outdoor high public high school model that brings youth, uh, juniors and seniors in high school out around a fire um, through all the weather and elements of Vermont winter um, to kind of study what is my relationship to self and to community and to the natural world and ask bigger questions. It's founded on Thoreau's um, Sojourn to Walden Pond. Um, And so they do readings from that. And also it's, it's heavy in the environmental sciences and the literature. And out of that program, we, in 2000, we purchased 200 acres in Moncton, where is, is, which is the home base for many of our programs, which has grown exponentially over the years. To include the Wren's Nest Forest Preschool, we have, we're starting a middle school in the fall. We run summer camps, week-long summer camps all summer long, um, the gorgeous swath of land with a sculpture park, and quite a few different campuses with yurts and cabins. And our main mission is just to connect youth to nature through place-based education. Mm-hmm. I love 
everything about that, every <laughs> single thing about that. And I want to go there. You know, I can't, I can't even imagine as a kid, not opting into that just sounds absolutely spectacular. And, you know, I certainly appreciate the journey. Um, I'm the founder of the PASS Foundation. This is also our 22nd year. So I do understand sort of, you know, the, that that sort of natural iteration, the way things grow, right? And so you, you start with this idea in this program, and then you get this property, and then imagine the things that that are possible. Um, the image that you see behind me is, is our acquiring of a property a few years back and then doing things too. So I just, I feel, you know, a lot of sort of kindred spirit in the sense of some of the things that you are working on. So before we move over to Jen, Tasha, share with us just a little bit around the thinking of going from this amazing high school program, which we're not really going to get into the, to talk about a whole awful lot today. Could be a whole nother conversation that we have, but how do you go from that to saying, okay, we're going to do this preschool program? Because lots of folks might build out a program over time, multiple directions, but you're building program in pieces, which is really an intriguing sort of approach. And so what's the thinking behind that? Um, I think it kind of started because we had early educators in the area who were passionate, ready to jump in and start it. And I think the ultimate mission of Willowell is to have pre-K through high school. Um, and I forgot to mention, we also have a new roots project, which is elementary school right now. So we're just trying to, we're, piece by piece, we're putting it all together. And the, the preschool and the high school are both accredited licensed schools. The other programs are more, um, we call them outdoor enrichment programs because we're still working towards the accreditation that we need to be recognized by the state. Um, it's not to say they're not vibrant and rich in curriculum, but there's a lot of hoops to jump through. Yeah. And so it just, I think if we went from high school and then we went all the way to the other end of the spectrum and we're filling out the in-between, we go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that gives you the opportunity for the kids to sort of grow with the program, presumably, right? You know, that there's there's pathway forward for them, um, those those littlest learners, um, if you will. They, they get to stay um, in the nest, so to speak. So, 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 Jen, share with us a little bit then. So, you're a teacher in the Wren's Nest. And so, help us understand what's the sort of the, the context of the structure first. And then we're going to kind of get into the nitty-gritty of how it works. So, give us kind of the overview of this particular sort of school program experience? Yeah, so Rensnest is a, a preschool program that is operated mainly outdoors, nine months of the year. We follow the local school district's calendar. Um, we are located on a farm, um, Wild Roots Community Farm in Bristol. And this was our first year there. We had been at, located at a different farm for the last three years um, prior to this. But we are there five days a week. We offer part-time and full-time spots for children. So we serve 15 children every day, but the class might be as big as 23 children with some children coming two days a week and some children coming five days a week. And we offer like what our regular day is, is eight to 2.30. And so children arrive between eight and nine um, and then get picked up at 2.30. And then there's like two additional hours at the end of the day for extended care should families choose to have a little bit of a longer day until 4.30. And we spend, you know, we're, so Vermont is located up in the Northeast of New England and we have six to seven months of winter weather, you know, and, and sometimes it's mild and sometimes it's harsh, but we're outside from the beginning of the day when children are dropped off from August, September, whenever we start the school year until around Thanksgiving. And then we move 
you know, that, that initial part of our day inside, we have a yurt where we, you know, it's kind of our home base in the winter months. And then we'll, um, we spend uh, about two hours on a hike every morning, going to a different place on the land and then come back for lunch. You know, either we're sort of settling back in outside or inside, depending on the season. Um, and then children are back outside when they are getting picked up in the afternoon. So we spend a significant part of our day outside and really understand the importance of good gear to keep us warm and dry. And yeah, that's that's kind of a a fairly, fairly broad picture. Um, but it, it really does like range on the seasons, but yeah. I think it's quite remarkable, quite frankly, and very brave in many sense. So I'm going to ask a question that I just know listeners are dying. They're like, how on earth do you get these, what, three, four, mm-hmm. and five-year-old kiddos, right? How do, you, how do you get them to go on a hike every single day, right? And, you know, not have their clothes strewn all over the property, you know, the mountain, <laughs> the woods. How on earth? I mean, that, that, that's a really intriguing. It's, it's such an awesome, amazing thing. But I'm just thinking about what does the logistics of that look like and how do you do it? Yeah. So it highlights a couple of things. And one I'll just say up front. So Wild Roots is about 10 acres or mm-hmm, so. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's adjacent to um, some like a wooded property that's sometimes used for um, like felling trees. And, mm-hmm. and it's like 60 acres. And so we use a lot of that land. Um, it's not, we're, we're not just on, yeah. the, on, the, mm-hmm. on the farm's property, um, but that's where our, our sort of home base is. And so what happens is this combination of Suzanne Miller, who's the teaching director, um, and and my philosophy when we meet children and families in the beginning of the year is to really see them as, you know, competent, capable beings who are excited about exploring and say, you know, we're going to go on a hike. We're going to, everyone carries their backpack. Like from the first day of school, they each have a little backpack with a water bottle and a lunch and their clothes. And we go out on a hike and we see as far as we can make it. And we sort of build up to that two hour hike over the course of the year. In the beginning of the year, we stay a little bit closer to our sort of home base and just give ourselves time to build trust and sort of relationship as a community and stay in places where we feel like we have more of a, you know, just sort of sense of each other and the land that doesn't feel like too intimidating for children. There are oftentimes children coming in who don't have a lot of experience being in the natural world. And there are children who have like, you know, acreage and roam freely, you know, in their home environments. And so we try to find like a a middle ground and that depends each year on the group of children that we have coming in and then sort of day by day across the week, the dynamics of the group. But they are encouraged based on that sort of model of seeing them as competent and like contributors to what we're doing together to take care of their own belongings as much as we, you know, meet them in the middle at three and four and five years old and give them reminders about that stuff. But it is, you know, a fascinating sort of discipline to think of as parents, those things often don't happen. Like your kid doesn't carry their backpack on the hike for two hours. They don't even walk, they don't even walk themselves the whole way. And to see that happen at school and that other context is just, it's really incredible. Mm-hmm. It is. But I also think it speaks to the notion that if, if, if we believe 
in the kiddos that we're engaged with, that we believe that they're super capable, they rise to that occasion. I mean, I've, I've had numerous uh, conversations over the years, you know, with educators that I've had the privilege to work with. And, you know, a lot of those conversations are raise the bar because the kids will aspire to wherever you set the bar. And if the bar is too low, that's all they're going to do, right? They, you know, they're super savvy. Kids are smart. They're resilient. They're scrappy. It's one of the things I love about kiddos, right? And because of that, they're just going to go where, 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 where you direct them. And so I love the notion that you believe that every child is capable of great things, right, essentially. And I assume, Tasha, that this philosophy is one that carries through across all of the sort of program lenses and that what's happening in the wren's nest is foundational for what happens in some of the other program elements and pieces as, as you think about students growing towards that high school component. Is that is that correct? Do I have that? Yeah, we really try to offer the freedom for, for youth to kind of find their own voice and forge their own path in the world and capitalize on their strengths. And going back to Rensness, I'd say it also translates into like real life hands-on skills. Kids love to work. They love to be seen. And so there were there are times this, this year when I would be at school, be there uh, witnessing what they're doing. And you see three, four-year-olds splitting wood with a real axe or, you know, helping prepare snack with a real knife um, and just giving them those skills. We really pride ourselves at Rensess in being a risk-based program. And we write about that in our philosophy that if kids can take risks with adults present, they're a lot less prone to hurt themselves later when they go out on their own and they try to try to climb to the top of the tree and there's nobody there. And Jen can speak more eloquently to that philosophy, but I, that I, the heart of what we do is having faith in their mm-hmm. ability and capability. Mm-hmm. How Jen, I'm super curious, you know, and I would assume that the families that show up at the program have a pretty good sense of what this is, but do you think they really understand how much independence you're going to give them? I'm, I, I am, curious sort of the the range and i would assume that it's a range of sort of parents or families that that sort of get there because you know traditionally someone might think well i'm not going to give a three-year-old a real knife to cut the strawberries for their lunch and yet three-year-olds are totally capable of that if we scaffold them to get there so what's that conversation look and feel like yeah with families so usually whether it's at the open house or whether it's at the open house and in the beginning of the school year, you know, sort of meet and greet time, we do talk openly and honestly with families about how we encourage children to take risks in ways that feel comfortable to them. And one of the ways that we talk about that is really beginning to sort of illustrate for families that that trust that we that we share with children is sort of innate in our practice of observation and that like for each kid that's going to come at a different time and their interest in taking risks and what they feel like is risky for them is defined by themselves. And so we're not going to encourage somebody to take a risk that doesn't feel comfortable to them. And so I can think of like an example that if someone is interested in climbing up on top of a boulder that we come across in the woods and they're looking for a way up, we're never going to lift that child up and put them on top of the boulder. Like the the journey may be, you know, it takes them three days to figure out how to get up and get on top of that. They may never be interested in getting on top of that, or it might take them the better part of the whole year to figure out how to get up on top of that boulder. But if we can let families know that we're, you know, while we encourage this risky play or being able to, um, you know, see them as, as capable and, and help us with 
real life work that we're going to do it within you know a supervised and trusted setting where we know that someone's not going to really actually like hurt themselves um, because they're going to be able to listen to what feels comfortable for them and we're going to be there close enough that if they start feeling nervous and we can talk through or model through you know an exit strategy um, that seems to be really supportive but I do think it takes time for families to see what that looks like in in practice. So we talk about it a lot at the beginning of the year and when we're beginning to build relationships with families and then through our different platforms, um, like we share a, a weekly note with families via email about like what's been happening at school that week through social media um, and then through some like documentation that we like kind of purposefully generate throughout the year and put out to families. We really try to illustrate like what that looks like and then COVID permitting, this past year, we actually had an opportunity to invite families to come and join us on hikes and come and join us for activities where they could see in real time what that looks like. And I think that was like immensely powerful, especially coming off of a year where we hadn't been able to do that. So that that, that really builds the trust. But it does, it does take time to be able to see that and for families to even recognize like, wow, my kid is doing things that you know, I mean, you know, even at the end of the year, they might still be doing things at Ren's Nest that they don't do at home. Um, and, it, and, and that's okay. But it, it's really neat to see that learning become visible for families and to value it. You know, whether it changes what happens at home or not is not so important. It's just that, that children have a space where they can go to practice those things and be seen in that way. And, mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the other questions that I imagine that folks are wondering about, and either one of you, please just feel free to sort of opt in um, on this one, is, you know, ultimately, so a child who's participated in a Wren's Nest program is going to have a very, I'm, I'm assuming, I might have this wrong, so please correct me if, if I'm incorrect, but I'm assuming that a child that comes out of that experience and then moves into um, a, a kindergarten or first grade class, depending on, you know, their local school structure, um, is going to be infinitely more prepared for that moment, right? But how does the experience in a Wren's Nest sort of environment sort of stack up academically to other preschool programs? Because I know people are wondering about that. Is this just some structured play or do we have, uh, you know, a lot that's being incorporated across whatever the state requirements are at sort of a preschool sort of learning level? I can speak a little bit to that. And Natasha could probably speak better to the like behind the scenes where we stack up in terms of, you know, our qualifications within the state. But Suzanne and I both are sort of, I would say, trained and believe in the power of um, play as a vehicle for learning and support the research that talks about how developmentally appropriate play is for preschoolers as a vehicle for learning. Um, And so what that looks like at Ren's Nest is that there are times that, you know, like from eight to nine 30, let's say before we, you know, we're getting ready for snack and things like that during the drop-off period where we're at our home base and things are set up, you know, in, in a, I would say like a traditional preschool classroom, they're often called like stations or learning centers. Um, but you know, essentially like materials are available at picnic tables that promote children to explore and interact with concepts that are like traditionally academic. So literacy and math. So you know, there might be there, you know, on Thursdays, like your name cards are set up that have a picture and their name and a bunch of loose parts that we've collected in the wood. So acorns, flowers, 
pebbles, sticks, different things. And they're learning to construct the letters of their name out of those loose materials. And they're beginning to, you know, make connections about how they come to own their name and own what those letters look like and construct that knowledge sort of on their own through play. And then those things sort of carry over when we're on our hike. Somebody might start sorting and counting things that we find in the woods and we're having like really deep conversations about math and science when we're in, you know, when we're in our unstructured playtime. But they're just sort of inherently built into the day in response to what we notice children are interested in. And so it's sort of like a, like a negotiation or like a dance that is like us getting to know the children and saying, this is what we know about preschool age children from the get-go. Then this is what we know about these children. And this is how we can invite opportunities for learning about literacy, math, scientific thinking, social emotional development, and just kind of structuring that so that they are prepared with the skills that they need Mm -hmm. when they go off to kindergarten. Yeah, yeah. So so Tasha, how does it how does it shake out compared to what's going on in a more traditional setting? I don't have hard data or stats on that. I do have anecdotal just families saying that their kiddos, we have one mom who's a pediatric physical therapist and she just kept she couldn't say enough about how valuable this the gross motor that kids are coming into kindergarten and they don't even know how to be in their bodies. And that I think kindergarten readiness for us is that body awareness and that social emotional awareness. And that's the foundation. And that parent actually her sent her child to us for three years. She held her back from kindergarten one year for one more year of that social emotional play. And when she got the kindergarten, she was far beyond her peers and ready and eager, like begging for worksheets and <laughs> begging to learn. And I think that the research is really starting to show that. I think I've seen some studies in some other countries where the longer we extend that social emotional play, the readier kids are for the academics. And yeah, and just you can have a playground with these sets, you know, slide, ramp, <laughs> but to have the dynamic outdoors, the trees, the the moss, the like Jen was talking about the boulders to climb up those challenges is just as um, far surpasses that that gross motor and that fine motor skill development. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it also fosters curiosity in another way, right? Because it's there's less less structure is not really the right way to put it. But I think in the way that people will traditionally think about a preschool program or even an early elementary school program, what's happening or it sounds like is happening as part of the philosophy at the Wren's Nest is you're just, it's there's so much open-ended curiosity that's possible because of the exploring outside of just a sort of traditional set. So, um, yeah, you know, and, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, can I, if I can no. just jump in, I, I think that it, I think that, you know, one of the things that we understand too is that like play, like uninterrupted play and like what, it, how long it takes for children, preschool age children to really get into that play, into deep learning is about 45 minutes. So we have the flexibility or we've created a schedule that is flexible and sort of responsive to that. And so, you know, it's not like, oh, the bell rang and we have to move on to the next thing. Like we're able to say like today we're really into something deep. And so sometimes we might stay in a place for a little bit longer to allow that learning to like get to the end of that 45 minute window before we, you know, sort of interrupt that to say, okay, now we have to, you know, we have to get everybody together so we can go back down, you know, for, for, for lunch and rest. 
Um, but I, I think that's like supportive in another way that we just recognize, like, this is what children need in terms of, you know, their brain development to be able to get to that place. So let's figure out a way to scaffold that learning, um, in a way that feels really positive. And I think the other thing that, you know, it sort of reminds me of is that like, we carry a lot of guides with us when we're out on walks, we have like a designated sort of like nonfiction reading section, um, you know, in our our book collection when we're, when we're back at, when we're back at our home base, but kids are really interested and invested in being able to construct their own ideas about what things are. And so a lot of times we will come across something and I did not come into this field or to Ren's Nest with a ton of my own knowledge about little critters and things. And so sometimes we'll find something and it's like, we're discovering together, like, what is it? It's not just a transfer of knowledge from teacher to child to say, oh, this is, you know, a redback salamander. It's like, oh, let's get the guides out. What do you notice about this? And just really fostering that creativity and sort of partnering that I think then when they go on to another setting, they see themselves as capable of like, you know, being one of 20 kids in a kindergarten classroom who are capable of being curious and and saying like, how does this work? And how do I figure this out? And how do I make friends? And, you know, having like a, I guess, a positive disposition towards learning mm-hmm. in I a love, new environment. I love that so much. And I just, I can't applaud I applaud the program enough for that that really sort of instilling and making it okay. And I guess from an administrative standpoint, I guess it's really sort of where I want to focus on that component is that it, 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 the the entire ecosystem has made it okay for the teacher to be a facilitator of learning, not just, you know, you have to know everything, right? And that is one of those conversations I have with teachers all the time. It's like, so the most amazing opportunities for your kids to engage in is going to be when you learn with them, Right, and you 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 scaffold and model for them how to be curious. What does it look like? And the fact that that's just part of your ecosystem is just natural, right? You you don't think about it. The kids don't think about it. This is just what we do. We're gonna get the guidebook out. And we're gonna figure out what this critter is. I just love that so very very much. So, um, bravo for that. I am really curious. You know, sort of as we sort of think about wrapping up the conversation. One of the things that I think people will be curious about themselves is how does this scale, Tasha? This is amazing for fifteen to twenty kids. Right. Is how how could you imagine and whether it's it's um you know sort of part of the strategy for this particular program, but programs like this, because there's these amazing programs that are out there in the world and and schools are struggling. How can I take some of what's happening in the Rins Nest and apply it into my own preschool program that might happen to be in the middle of Chicago or you know, a Native American reservation in Nevada, or um, you know, what I'm saying is it, what what is the components that allow a program like this to scale? Yeah, I think at least here in Vermont, I think it's obviously it's different in cities or on reservations. Um, that has been one of the silver linings of the pandemic. It's been this incredible shift towards outdoor education where a lot of schools and education facilities were scrambling to figure out what they were doing. We really, it was our moment to shine because we'd been doing it already for 22 years and everybody was like, we have to build these outdoor classrooms. We have to, you know, get outside where it's safe. <laughs> and a lot of people turn to us. And I think that uh, there are quite a few programs in our area anyway, who had some great state funding to build these outdoor classrooms and shifted towards that and haven't gone back in because they've just seen what it's done for the students. And even in the public school system, they, you know, every 30 minutes, a cleaning break where the kids have to go out and run around. Whoa 
we noticed that productivity spiked when they had those moments to go outside and move their bodies. Um, so I think just tangentially that that's a, a beauty of some a silver lining that's come out of the pandemic through all of this is that people are really shifting their lens towards outdoor education and, and um, more freedom and movement in the body between, between structured lessons. In terms of scaling it, um, I think it's it's about the philosophy of um, like what we've talked about, meeting kids where they are, with space play, um, and really giving them opportunities to have you know meaning meaningful projects and meaningful learning in whatever setting you are. If that's in Chicago, do you find a way to hike to walk to a you know a park every day? Or um, yeah, and I think in the state of Vermont. We're, we're kind of trying to find our way and trying to be leaders in the field in terms of there aren't really licensing standards for us, which, um, so when they come to license us, they don't really know what to do with us, um, but kind of creating, not that we want to box ourselves in, but creating some of those standards um, and helping, you know, grow, grow the philosophy and spread it out throughout yeah. regionally and yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so Jen, what, what does it look like? So what's, what's next, I guess, I always want to try to wrap up with asking that question. So for you at the Wren's Nest, let's focus mm -hmm. on some of that piece of it. Um, you know, when you sort of think about what's, what's the, what's the most important thing to you in sort of the next iteration, as you are learning, this program has been around and yet, you know, as you said, you're learning new things every day. What, what for you as a teacher in this environment, what, what, what are you thinking about as the next thing I want to try or I should do or things that I want to make modifications on? What does that look like for you? Well, it's always responsive to like, who is our community and how are we changing? Um, you know, one of the unique things that we get to experience at Rensness is that we are a community of teachers who are, you know, like Suzanne and myself, we also have AmeriCorps uh, service members every year. So they essentially, they change. Um, you know, every year. So new, new members of our teaching community, what are, what are we passionate about? What are we knowledgeable about? What do we want to share this year? And what do we know about the children who are coming in? We had, um, let's see, 15 outgoing kindergarten, outgoing preschoolers to kindergartners this year, to, ki to kindergarten this year. So we have a really big um, new group of children coming in. Um, and so it's really about getting to know them and understanding like, also, what do we know about this place that we've now been for a year? Um, one of the really unique things that I found having now been at Rensas for a year and a half was that in this last year, we, you know, we moved last August and we were finding new places and finding new meaning about those places literally until the last week of school. Um, and it was just incredible that we could continue to explore some of the same places and find new significance for like that the children were finding new significance in those places or coming to understand them and like get a sense of where we were physically on the land, but also to like understand how much our community shifted as a result of that. And so what does it mean looking, looking ahead to next year to say, oh, well now some of these places like they have a name, like before they didn't have a name. Like we just would, you know, encounter them. And then someone would be like, you know, refer to this place as the mushroom garden because it was abundant and all these different kinds of fungi. And like, 
the mushroom garden just stuck. And so there's a few children who are returning next year and is like, what will this look like with this, with this new group of this new community? Will some of those things carry over? Will some of those things be reinvented? And what does it look like as we continue to think about the program, like, you know, growing and potentially being like at different places that are not just specific to the land that we're on? Yeah, it's really, it's really it's exciting. Mm-hmm. And- I love that you've allowed for so many possibilities. That is that is not the norm, right? We don't always see that um, in education. This this notion of creating grace and space for what's possible. I love that. So I I think awesome. that it it you know I think I'm a person who loves learning. Like inherently, it it comes naturally to me. Um, so it makes me really excited about it. But I also think that like when you're talking about scaling things up or like how does this translate to other places. I love connecting with educators and, you know, specifically during the pandemic when this has become much more of a topic of conversation for people, like, how do we get outside? And like, this seems really meaningful that, that they, they didn't come into education because they believe that like being outside is the way to do it, but they've seen it work for kids and understand that it's important and then kind of flip it around. And so I feel like being able to have a disposition as a teacher to say like, this might not be my preference. I don't love going home smelling like campfire smoke every day and covered in bug bites. And, you know, like I might not do this personally, but I believe in the power of doing this for young children because they deserve this allows for administrators and educators to make something happen that's really meaningful and like different than what is happening conventionally with preschool education around the country. Yeah, I love that. I just love everything about this. And so, um, you know, I want to close with that, you know, ladies. What an incredible opportunity and program that you've created, you know, over the last 22 years. And I and I know that all the elements haven't existed that entire time, but just the, the iteration and the process that you've gone through, it's really, really clear that it's ingrained, quite frankly, in sort of the soul and the fabric of the organization, that parent organization as a whole, and the support that must come to be able to ensure that this preschool program can be so incredibly su- successful um, within the community is, is quite remarkable. Um, actually. So, um, yeah, it's just, what, what a cool thing. I mean, to be a kid in, 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 um, in Bristol, Vermont and have the opportunity to go to the wren's nest as a little kid is just awesome. Thank you. It really is. Yeah, no, it is just like, can't even imagine like, oh my gosh, I want to go play. Right. That's exactly what it makes you feel like. It's just like, it's super exciting in that sense. So, um, hopefully all of the listeners, um, enjoyed the conversation. Uh, ladies, thank you so very much for making time out of your day to sort of share the story of what you're, you're working on and what's meaningful uh, to you. And thank you for what you do for kids. We appreciate it greatly. Thank you for having us. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.